Covered in Glory is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it, must be 21 years or older. to another edition of Covered in Glory, where, Brett, I want to make you a promise. I will never treat you as poorly as Manchester United has treated Harry Maguire. I will never do this podcast with not one, but two backup goalkeepers, two backup goalkeepers specifically there to keep you from even making the bench on this podcast. That was highly embarrassing, and I wouldn't do that to you. I want you, America, to love you. I want myself to love you, and I don't want to go out of my way, even though you've been a very important part of this podcast, to make you feel as bad as possible in front of the home crowd yeah you say that now and then i pick a couple of defenders to score three weeks in a row and all of a sudden there's three backup goalkeepers on ahead of me so <laughs> let's oh, uh let's dream. let's not let's not have something out on the record publicly for something that very well could happen if my bets keep going the way they are Pod favorite Harry Maguire. I mean, like, what in the he might replace left? me directly at this point. Well, I don't I don't know if he's worthy of that. I mean, I'd be scared to death if I had to get on a Zoom with him. He'd find some way to take me out even over the internet. Um, <laughs> I think there's the only real solution that's left for Harry Maguire is for somehow, like somewhere, I don't know what the midpoint is between um Manchester and Chelsea. Or, I'm sorry, London, but let's send Lukaku and Maguire. It's like one of those like high school math problems. If they both get on trains at the same time, where exactly can they meet? And then let's just have them one-on-one train with each other for as long as possible. But let's make the pitch horrible. Let's charge admission uh, just out of the spectacle of it. And let's see how much these two like former world superstars can embarrass themselves before they find other pastures to ply their trade. Yeah, I mean, right now they're definitely probably uh, just playing on the local pub pitch at this point. I think both, or at least Lukaku for sure. I think I read today he hasn't even spoken to Poch since he came on to Chelsea. So, yeah, yeah he's definitely as far away from the Chelsea training pitch that I can possibly imagine. So he might already be in one of those spots that you're describing. Going great for him and the rest of Chelsea, but I'm sure we'll get to that. So, uh, Brett, before we dive into this week's action, I did send you a tiny bit of homework. I was listening to a very popular podcast last week. I won't name it, but let's just say it's 100% pure BS. And they had a discussion around penalty taking, especially like in the way that they perceive that used to be done versus the modern era. So the statement that kind of perked my ears up was just saying every single penalty taker should just blast it in the upper left corner. And that should be the way that all penalty takers approach it. And that really hit my ears hard after watching this past weekend, the most glaring one being Enzo Fernandez kind of dilly-dallying around and taking a very poor penalty, a little bit uh, to the keeper's right, elevated for a comfortable save. You saw Odegaard do fancy stuff. I've obviously been drilled on watching Jorginho do his hot skip and a jump thing for several years. And so I wanted to ask you, as somebody who likes to dive into the numbers, is there any uh like hidden wisdom and the just smash it as hard as you can in the upper left every single time or is the modern era of taking penalties with all this trickery and and finesse and things like that uh translating to converted penalties at a higher rate 
so luckily, we're, we're very fortunate to have a, a wonderful friend of the pod named Ryan O'Hanlon, who has actually written a specific article about this. Um, but to before I get into parts of that, uh, the answer to the original question is both yes and no. Uh, and basically, the idea would be, um, in Ryan's article from a couple of years ago, um, that higher penalties typically are converted at a, at a higher rate than lower penalties. So it's about 80% of penalties that are high up get converted into goals. 70% of lower penalties are converted. So there is like a little bit of wisdom in the smash it into an upper corner type of logic. But nowadays, everybody is so well scouted that if you just continue to take penalties and aim for the one spot with very little variance as to where you're going if you take a bunch of penalties... It is absolutely um, going to be something that is going to be scouted and goalkeepers will be tipping their hand that direction. So it's a little bit of a mix. I think the reason you don't see too many high penalties and and Ryan points out in the piece uh, in his piece from a couple of years ago, that high penalties tend to miss the goal completely more. Like you can, I mean, kind of remember probably a lot of penalties where a guy misses and it looks bad. So you have that kind of mental thing of like, they converted a better percentage, but the misses look really bad. It's kind of like how pressing in general works in soccer, where you prevent a lot of shots from even happening with a good press. But when people break through, you know, it looks like a horrible defensive breakdown. So I feel like part of the reason that penalty takers probably don't take that approach is that that kind of fear of the high profile miss, right? Like psychologically, and I have, you know, I stopped playing sports at, the NAI level in college. Um, but psychologically, I'm sure when penalty takers are up, one of the fears would be they want to put it on frame, right? Like don't miss the goal completely, give it a chance. So I'm guessing that the idea of just smashing it high all the time is partially due out of a fear of the big miss, right? So I think the logic is sort of sound. If you just try to aim high, you'll have more success. But at the same token, if you aim to the same spot, you're going to obviously miss the, have the chance of missing the goal completely. And keepers at this point, they're going to have the layout of every good penalty taker. They're going to know exactly where they cluster their shots. So you've got to mix it up as well. Yeah. I mean, like what you just said is basically like everyone who started taking penalties this way just was a lad when they saw Roberto Baggio blow a world cup by sailing it over the yeah. bar, by trying to smash it. And so that would be the most that- iconic missed over the bar. Yeah, the most iconic one is and what that happened in 94. And so did that actually change the way people take penalties? I wonder if there's any downstream effect from that specific kick. And maybe there's a couple other ones. I will say, like, when you you used to watch David Louise just run up and smash it. Reese James usually smashes it. Frank Lampard smashes it. I mean, obviously, these are all through a Chelsea lens. I always feel better about it. Like, I actually never felt good about the Jorginho penalty approach, even though he had an incredible conversion percentage. And seeing, you know, Enzo kind of do what he did and seeing the way that people just are kind of dribbling it into the corner. I, I hate to say it because it, it does sound a little bit reductive, but like there's some, there's some like uh caveman instinct that comes over me. It's just like, yeah, smash it. Just hit it hard. You guys like are incredible at this. You should be at the best in the world. You should be able to put it into whatever spot you want. And even if they do scout upper left, unless they're going to shade that way by like two feet, are they even going to be able to get to it? Um, and so, and if they do start shading and then just roll it into the lower right and they won't be able to get to that either. So I don't know. 
I uh, I just heard the stats, and all I really heard was they're afraid of sailing over the bar, but as long as they keep it under the bar, it is a better way to approach a penalty. And I'm kind of tired of seeing all the dancing and just give me a guy who wants to smash it uh, over you know watching what Enzo did and some others are doing in the premiere each and every week. Yeah, well, one other interesting thing, too, is Richard Thaler, um, you know, who is pretty well known at this point here, uh, actually tweeted out a heat map as well, which is, you know, it's the perfect content for a podcast is talking about a heat map on Twitter. Um, but essentially, the very high uh, success rate were upper left hand quarter, upper right hand quarter, and right down the middle. Uh, the highest save rates were obviously low to the right of the left of the goalkeeper. So it is interesting, though, that the middle the middle approach, you know, we always we always talk about the guys. You talk about crafty little things. You know, when guys go down the middle, it's always seen as kind of like a cheeky little ploy to take the penalty that way. But there's also real data behind that being a, a viable route as well. So it's kind of interesting. I, I think a lot of it's going to change, too, with the way that they're, you know, kind of enforcing keepers to stay behind, at least have that one foot behind the line now. So I, I feel like it, it's th- this late iteration of penalties might have something to do with the fact that like they're just trying to get goalkeepers to tip their hand, which is why you see these slow run-ups at these little start stops is the goalkeepers maybe feel like they have to go early now that the rules have been tightened up. And then so penalty takers are trying to get them to cheat and then just go the opposite way late. So I I, we're kind of seeing a whole new dynamic as well, which could also factor into the change. Well, I wonder if there's any, you know, follow on equity as well, right? Like we saw Salah kind of smash it hard towards the middle and the goalie made a stop, but it bounced right back in front of him and he was able to bury and convert the and get the goal anyway. So uh, it's like my friend Kurt Goldsberry used to talk about the Kobe assists, which were misses, but they turn into made baskets after the miss. And I wonder if there's some sort of equity by shooting at the middle versus shooting at either edge where it's easier to tip it around the bar, or tip it so wide a frame that there's not a, uh, a follow on for the goal taker who's the most likely to score there right because otherwise the defenders will beat everybody else in the rush to clear um obviously i'm just particularly bitter about the enzo penalty because i had him at plus 750 uh and i got my analysis precisely correct i I called it out based on the penalty equity and when he grabbed that ball i was probably minus 300 i probably had like a thousand uh point spread in order to convert on that and to watch him miss was just heartbreaking because i want to smash you like i want people to smash penalties in the five pint <laughs> I have this. I have the same affection that you have for Harry Maguire, apparently. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I have to say though uh, that that was gut wrenching for me to even watch from a distance as we were texting each other, literally as he walked up to the penalty when both of your five pine picks were hanging in the balance. So I know that one hurt, man. That's definitely a bad beat. Yep. Oh well. What are you gonna do? Um, all right, let's go ahead and rip through the games this week. And as a friendly reminder, uh, Tottenham is still serving a suspension, so we will not be covering them this week. I do not care that they beat United 2-0 until they spend that money, until they show the ambition that they belong with the rest of the big clubs. We will not be covering them unless they're actually, they're playing one of the real big six. Uh, so we will be starting at Newcastle, who is eighth in three points, versus Liverpool, fifth at four points. This game is Sunday at 11.30 a.m. Newcastle is plus 110. Liverpool is plus 205. The draw is plus 285. Our friends at Caesars have Newcastle minus half a goal at plus 105, and the Liverpool double chance at minus 135. So, Brett, I want to start on the Newcastle side of this, and uh, we'll start with a question. Should we just forget what we saw 
from Newcastle against City because it's unfair to judge anyone against them? Or did you leave that match concerned about the Newcastle project? As we will find out when we get to City, uh, I think it was more I took away some things that City were doing than Newcastle. Uh, I mean, Newcastle had a great season last year, and they essentially got stomped in kind of the same way by City um, like in almost the exact same fashion. They created nothing. City pretty much controlled the entire match. Um, I don't think it's a huge indictment on Newcastle. But that said, still, as we talked about before, still not sure that they really lit the world on fire with some of their signings. Um, I am curious to see what the workload of the Champions League do does to them. Um, and, I mean, they were always weird last year, too, in the sense that, like, the sum of their players wasn't super impressive but they played like a champions league team. <laughs> um, and they, I don't think they've necessarily changed that dynamic, even though you and I are both huge fans of Bruno. And so every time that they play a match like they had against city, I'm always like, well, maybe their players just aren't that good. So that's always in the back of my head when I'm watching a Newcastle match, I'll admit that. Yeah. And they got Lewis Hall coming in from Chelsea. I thought that was a really good signing for him. I think he'll have uh, an impact either as a midfield sub or probably as their starting left back. Uh, even though he's only 18 years old. So that's going to be interesting to see how he integrates. Uh, I I kind of threw the match out. I mean, I, I walked away thinking way more about City than I did about Newcastle. Um, but then on the, the other side of the equation here, that Liverpool game uh, last week was was really interesting. I mean, I kind of said it last week that I would not cover, I would not bet them to cover a multi-goal spread until I saw it. And I'm still not entirely sure I actually saw it, uh, even though they did win three to one. Um, the Diaz goal though, I mean, pod favorite, that goal was so cool. If you are listening to this and you haven't gone back and watched it yet, please do. He like grabs a cross and he flips it into the air. Then he hits like a one time, really fast overhead volley off of his own flick. Um, I mean, along with like those, those bangers that Manchester, I'm sorry, that, uh, Arsenal hit in the first week. These are, you know, just incredible goals that we're seeing already. And I love a goal that I don't remember seeing very often. Like how many times have you seen a pass, like on a pullback just to the middle and somebody hits it uh, across the goalkeeper or somebody smashes it in, uh, you know, from a wing or whatever near post. I just, I don't remember seeing anybody else flick it up to themselves and hit it on the way up. Cause that was what was super cool about it. It wasn't that like it arced down and then he hit it. He flicked it up and then immediately went into an overhead kick off his own flick and like a fluid motion. It was over in a second. It was so awesome. Uh, less awesome, Brett. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just never going to let this go. Uh, Trent Alexander Arnold on the defensive side was abysmal yet again, <laughs> just abysmal. Like in the, in the third minute, that he uh, completely misplays a very simple ball over the top and he just completely misses it and they, and they score and there's a marginal offsides that gets uh, waved off. And then two minutes later, he has a super heavy touch on the press, gives it up and the balls in the back of the net 20 seconds later. I just, I, I don't know how you could keep saying this guy is like the second most valuable player in the entire league. When this happens over and over and over again, it's like what I keep saying to you about your spreadsheets, just use your eyes. He is a massive liability in his own, own third. It happens each and every week, it seems like. So defend your boy. It's the same thing that we talked about. Everything is about context, right? You know, when Liverpool had their peak midfield of Winaldo and Hendo, um, just kind of covering ground in front of Fabinho. 
like there were no issues with Trent. And part of it is those guys were space heaters that gobbled it up. Like we've seen Alexis McAllister play as a six. Cody Gakbo is playing as an eight right now. I don't know if you were noticing that before uh, the sending off, uh, which is just bizarre. Um, of all things that Cody Gakbo is, an eight is definitely not one of them. Um, and so I think a lot of that we're seeing right now is you have a guy that has some clear deficiencies. I'm not, I've never hit that. You know, Trent Alexander-Arnold clearly defending in space is not something that you want, but he's just being exposed to those situations way more. Um, and I think that's the that's more an indictment on Liverpool's squad building and the reason that they were in this intense bidding race with Caicedo, why they panic bought um, Endo last week, uh, why they're in with Gravenberch from um, uh, Bayern Munich at this point right now, who ironically might actually be the best of all the DMs that were just signed, but that's a whole other podcast, so we can talk about that. So I just, again, I think it's more of when you look at soccer as an 11-on-11 affair, you know, to kind of single out one player for the individual mistakes, I, I think is a little unfair because a lot of things happen for the ball to get to that point. And in the past, Liverpool were just excellent at building around it to know that the ball was not supposed to be getting to those areas. When and the now balls we see- get high and in the air and just over the top and a world-class <laughs> second most valuable guy in the most uh, you know best league in the entire world just misses it and then it just leads to a goal, like, I think I could single him out. I think I can single him out on that. I, I do not feel bad about singling him out. And like a guy who's supposed to be moving into midfield, it just casually takes a super heavy touch while under pressure in his own third and immediately results in a goal. I'm going to single him out. So you could talk about context. You could talk about how he was hidden by the amazing Liverpool machine over the years, but these are glaring. These are glaring. Even a moron like me who doesn't have to start <laughs> like that, who just sit on his couch can see a guy miss a ball in the air. It's like if, if, if a ball was hit to a right fielder in Little League and he whiffed it and, you know, it's an inside-the-park home run, I wouldn't be talking about spin rate and launch angles. Like, you could just see it. <laughs> you know, I mean, you also have it out for Trent, and I think if we probably watch closely a lot of the midfielders, there's always loose touches in games. There's always weird defending moments. Harry Maguire has more than his fair share of them. Um, but uh, I mean, look, guy, I defend yeah. all the time. Great idea. Bring up McGuire, yes. guys, that, that I treat. You're clearly the fave of the pod favorite. We're going to change our logo. So it's just Harry Maguire, Scorpion, kicking Pogba. Um, but no, I mean, the, the thing is, is again, the, a lot of the value that Trent Alexander Arnold has, those big moments will overshadow his ability to be one of the best players in the world at pushing the ball into dangerous areas. And we don't, we don't sit here and we're not going to track every single pass that he does. So, and you had a great comparison. I think this was one of the best comparisons that we've had in our cross sports things on the spot uh, on the pod is Russell Westbrook. I think that's a perfect example. Russ does a lot of stuff or used to do a lot of stuff that was very helpful to winning basketball games, but he had clear and obvious flaws and made you maybe wonder in certain circumstances, if he was actually helping teams win. And I think that's the same thing with Trent. I think that was a great comparison. Now it's definitely the the way that you can, the lens that you can look at him through, but I'm always going to hold strong. He does a lot of things that are super unique to, to write backs around the world that add a ton of value to soccer players, but he clearly, and I, I've never denied it. He has very standout moments that look terrible. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I always take the 90% of the good and over the 10% of the bad and think that he still has a lot of net value. Well, t- taking the good and showing that I'm not just like a Liverpool hater, that uh, that red card on McAllister was absolutely preposterous. Oh, my like, worst red card. One just, of the worst red cards I've ever seen in my life. It, it was shocking. If I was a pool supporter, I would have been losing my mind. 
But despite that just travesty and that should have tipped the game, they continued to pressure right after that. They didn't back down. And that's some character building activity that they had. Like not only did they not back down, not only were they able to kill the game, they were actually able to extend the lead. And they had three XG last week, even playing a man down for whatever it was, 33 or 34 minutes. Sobosly is settling in nicely. He's clearly causing a lot of danger in uh, the attacking third. And they look they looked pretty good uh so can we, can I we stop that. for a second and point out the fact that you just nailed that pronunciation let's uh, go sure so both slide sure. there we go all there right we, we got it, it. Well, well, he's continue been, he's on been good enough. i actually have to learn his name um <laughs> so so yeah they've been good i'm taking them off the i don't believe that they can't cover a multi-goal spread um, and I think this matchup is a classic example where all three outcomes are somewhat equally likely. And if I think all three outcomes are likely, I'm going to take the double chance for Liverpool right here at minus 135. Yeah, I, uh, I'm actually just going to go straight with Liverpool to win on the money line at plus 195. I was really impressed. Um, I think Bournemouth was a little bit better than, um, than they were last year, but I mean, they also still end up getting trucked a man down, which was concerning. Um, but there's a lot of things to really like for Liverpool. And one of them has to do with my prop bet. And that is Jota's back. Uh, and when he was out last year, uh, Jota is such an interesting player. Cause like he is one of the least flashiest players that you'll, you'll probably find in the premier league. He is all pressing and getting to the box and fighting and winning challenges. And for a sort of diminutive player, he's pretty good in the air. Um, but he was actually ahead of Salah in terms of non-penalty XG per 90 last year on Liverpool. So he was expected to score more goals per match than Salah. And somehow in a match against Newcastle, he's like almost double Mo's anytime line at plus 290. And I just think with him in the lineup, it it kind of takes the pressure off Liverpool in two ways. One, they get they're getting back one of their best goal scorers who who barely played last year. I think he only played 1100 Premier, Premier League minutes last year, which is like nothing. Um, so they're getting an elite player back. They basically missed for two thirds of the Premier League season last year, and his pressing does so much for them to cover up the warts that we've talked about that got him into the Caicedo uh, battle, all that kind of stuff. When you can press from the front, you can maybe close off the lanes for Newcastle to take advantage of that back four and your boy, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, so I, I think Yota being back for them is huge, which is why, A, I'm picking him to be by any time, because I think it's good value, and B, why I'm picking Liverpool at plus 195. All right. Well, I've got two props, uh, but one is straight up props to you. Let's give it up for Brett last week. What is the bet that hit in the Liverpool matchup to win from behind? They gave <laughs> yeah. up because of TAA. They gave up that goal in the first five minutes. And I just, I felt so good when it happened. Like if they give up the first goal, you've got to feel awesome holding that ticket. Cause like if you have them to win or draw at plus 350, plus 400 or whatever, and they give up the first goal, I think you're at like even money and you're holding a 4X ticket. So that is, uh, that is a great bet. And I encourage people to make it again this week because Newcastle could definitely grab the first one and Liverpool certainly has the fire pull, uh, firepower to pull one back or even come from two down to make it two two so that's uh plus 350 this week and I just wanted to give it out since I think you should we should be looking at that each and every week um but my my first bet is actually slightly counter to that uh, I just like the value of it it's first goal 
not happening until after the 30th minute is all the way up to plus 150. Because the books are expecting a heavy goal output here after seeing Newcastle hang five in the first match and then seeing uh, Liverpool, you know, seem like they're back on the attacking side in the last match. I think that this number got adjusted too far up when you have two high quality squads like this that do have, um, you know, you know, quality throughout the pitch. They don't always come out throwing haymakers like they do against the minnows where they're, they're on the front foot right away and they feel each other out for a while. And so getting the idea that this could be zero, zero after 30 minutes and not just having it even, but having it all the way up to plus plus one fifty, I just think is excellent value. Yeah, and one one thing I did want to point out, um, and I'm very glad that you brought up our portfolio bet of Liverpool to come from behind or win or draw, um, is one thing to think about with that bet, and the reason why it's it's probably going to be great for a while, is say what you will about Darwin Nunez, but given that he is now they're like a sub for them, he is by far and away one of the best attacking subs in the world, and Liverpool are going to bring him off the bench in every match which means that you're getting one of the better attacking subs in the world playing with you on those types of bets. So, I mean, yeah. the Liverpool come from behind or win or draw is, I think, going to be just a huge playmaker all year. Yeah, I, I do really love it. The more we talked about it, the more I've uh, I've fallen in love and I'm betting it each and every week. Uh, all right, let's go ahead and take a quick break so we can hear from Caesars and our other sponsors, and then we'll be back to talk about the blues. Why should you bet with Caesar Sportsbook? Two words, Caesars Rewards. Every bet brings you closer to the types of benefits only Caesars can offer. Hotel stays, VIP experiences, sports and concert tickets, and more. It's not just an app, it's an empire. You must be 21 and older and physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Utah, and other states where prohibited. No one stop before you start. If you have a gambling problem, Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Ohio, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER or Maryland, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, D.C., Nevada, Wyoming, Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9 with it. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Massachusetts, if you or a loved one is experiencing problems with gambling, please call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org for 24-7 support. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK or text H-O-P-E-N-Y. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. 
Okay, we are back, and we will do the rest of these in chronological order, which means that we're going to start with Chelsea, 15th at one point versus Luton Town, 17th at zero points. This game is Friday at 3 p.m. Chelsea is minus 440. Luton is plus 1,200. Draw is plus 490. Chelsea minus a goal and a half is minus 145. Luton is plus 115. So, Brett, XGFC is back. Chelsea managed to put up 2.49 versus 1.8. They beat Liverpool on XG, and they do not have any wins to show for it. They have one points for all of this goal creation because nobody can seem to find the back of the net, even when the referee points to the spot. Uh, So before I go too deep into my feelings on this team, I wanted to clear out and let you give a more objective view. Uh, I mean, I think it's, I mean, you, and you know, this too, like, it's just, a, it's a project, right? Like this is the start of the Chelsea project It's by far is far from complete. They're still relying on a Raheem Sterling who may or may not be washed at this point. Uh, Jackson is great. Uh, I think he's a really exciting player to watch. I've had a ton of fun watching him both weeks, uh, but he's also not a finished product. And so I think goals and finishing and things like that, not only are they going to be high variance in general, because it's a weird sport with the round ball and only one player can, you know, use his hands to stop it. Um, but I do think that you're still kind of counting on a Liverpool team that doesn't have an established penalty taker. Um, Jorginho, as you mentioned, was really good in that role. Um, and, you know, Enzo may be great too, but obviously had a misfortune of a miss. Um, but we're also still not sure about their attack. And I, I don't know how that's going to lead in terms of their XG variance catching up on the positive way for them. But so far it's been a little bit dicey. Yeah. So uh, Casado had one of the worst debuts ever, uh, particularly for a guy with that price tag. I mean, he gave the ball up over and over again. He obviously conceded a penalty at the end. I think, he somehow actively made the team worse, even though they he cost 115 million and they were a man up. They look more lost after he came on. The second half was just absolutely shambolic. Um, the first half was pretty solid though. And so, like Jackson, the reason I, I'm I'm loving watching Jackson is not, you know, whether he's a finished product or even the ability to finish at all. The amount of positive contributions he's making in all elements of the pitch is just something that's so welcome after watching somebody like Lukaku like not move at all or touch the ball only three or four times in a half. Uh, he's tracking back, he's influencing the game on the defensive side, he's influencing the game in midfield, um, with some of his like quick link up play and then he's playing pretty solid hold up play and doing great off ball runs. And so I, I am, I'm very long on Jackson and I'm, I'm happy he's part of the project, uh, but that's not helping us put the ball in the back of the net right now. And uh, I would say for this game that Casado, I, I I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to judge a guy by his worst moment and say he's a bum or he wasn't worth it or anything, uh, anything like that. In fact, I'm taking the opposite view. I like, I'm, I'm enough of a believer in him that I think he's going to come out with like so much to prove. And I think he's going to start this game. He's not going to come in as a sub. I think he's going to start. And I think he's going to be excellent from the very first kick of the ball, which makes me want to bet Enzo even more on the anytime goal scorer because he's going to be free to come up the pitch. I think he, I think he'll probably grab the ball again. If there's another penalty, because he's got enough swagger in his in his uh, locker that he's not going to want to let one uh, miss define him. He's going to want to get out and bury the next one, and I bet you he hits it a whole lot harder and in a much better location. So if you're still getting that, you know, in the plus seven hundred plus eight hundred range, I don't have it up right now. I would take that one yet again. And Luton, 
Uh, Luton's bad guys. I mean, like there's no real way to hide this. Like some teams come up and they actually have a chance and they're a wonderful story with this like really uh, nice club with a, a charmingly small pitch and all those sorts of things. But they got run ragged by Brighton and they're only Matt so far and they're not a quality opponent. So I should probably put um, Chelsea in the same penalty box I put Liverpool in last week that I just won't bet them on multiple goals until I see it. But Bournemouth is a lot better than Luton, so I'm going to give them one last chance and I'm going to take them on the over um, on the minus one and a half goals at minus 145. Yeah, I'm right there with you too. Um, I mean, Luton, it's tough to really project. I mean, I, I came into the season with the kind of predetermined thing that Luton was going to be the worst team in the league and they after you watch him get trucked by Brighton for the last 25 minutes that last, it didn't really change my thought much. Um, we didn't see him in week two because their, their charmingly small pitch was not ready for the big time. So they actually had to postpone their match against the Burnley. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I don't really trust Chelsea to, to cover two. Um, this is definitely like more of the bet against Luton town because they might be historically terrible Premier league team. Um, and they're coming and not even, not even just like it's not even a knock against Luton They're just a small underfunded club that's coming up to a super league. Um, yeah. and then we talked about this, that position that it puts teams into. And we've seen teams like Norwich who essentially just are like, well, we're just going to take the Premier League money and not try to compete. And then they get smoked and they're the worst team in the league. Or you see teams like Forest who feel like the only way they can stay up is they spend and spend and spend on a million players that are willing to join a team that might get relegated. So Luton has basically decided to kind of punt player acquisition. Um, and they already just, you know, were not a great team in the championship that were able to make their way up through the playoffs. So this is very much a bet against Luton Town thing. I, I have, don't have a ton of faith in Chelsea at this point, but I have zero faith in Luton Town. Uh, my faith, though, actually is a little bit higher up in Ben Chilwell's Anytime goal score number at plus 400. Ooh. Enzo, and you you actually mentioned this before. I think Enzo dropped to about plus 450 in the anytime. Yeah, um, I just looked it up while you were talking. It's plus 450. I think that's probably a reflection of the opponent more than anything else that they're just expecting a lot of goals yeah. here. And well, and now that he's firmly established as at least the guy that's probably going to take the penalty. Um, so, but yeah, but Chilo is actually um, averaging almost two shots a match uh, in Pacha's system where they're just playing with the two attackers, Australian and Jackson up top. He's really expecting the wing backs, especially Chilwell, to like really get into the box. Um, I think with Chukwameka out, uh, who was actually getting really advanced in the first two matches, yeah. it's going to put even more pressure on Chilwell to kind of be that like third guy constantly showing up in the box. So plus 400 in a match where Chelsea should score two to three goals, that's pretty good for me from basically probably the third best goal scoring threat on the team. Yeah. Great shout. Uh, he's definitely going to play really high up the pitch, and you're absolutely right. Like He's taking that old Alonzo role of coming in against weaker opponents and really bombing up the left side, and particularly if they're going to play Colwell, DeSassi, and um, Silva together again. That gives Chilwell so much freedom to move up the pitch. Uh, I am going to continue to go against Luton here, and so if Chelsea, if I like Chelsea to cover one and a half, I can juice that number up by also taking the clean sheet. So I'm going to take Chelsea over one and a half goals and Luton under half a goal. So Chelsea wins on a clean sheet by two or more, and that gets you all the way up to plus 130. So strangely, I'm more nervous about Chelsea scoring twice than Luton scoring once. 
but I I still think that uh, the odds are pretty good that both of those things happen and you're getting better than a coin flip on them. Yeah, it, I always look at the clean sheet bets when good teams play bad teams, and it definitely is good value. Cool. All right, let's be done with Chelsea because it'll feel good and I'll feel restored and ready to talk about them again. Never if they lose to Luton Town. Uh, Arsenal is third at six points versus Fulham, 13th at three points. This game is Saturday at 10 a.m. Arsenal is minus 460. Fulham is plus 1,200. The draw is plus 525. Arsenal minus a goal and a half is minus 155. And and, uh, Caesars has Fulham at plus 122. So, Brett, Fulham got drilled by Brentford uh, last time out, just absolutely drilled. And with Mitrovic gone off to Saudi Arabia, I just have no idea where goals are going to come from. Uh, Arsenal have scored two worldies and a penalty so far this year. So it's not like they're absolutely like lighting the world on fire with link up play and, and these fluid of goals. Um, but they, they are generating opportunities. And I think these opportunities are going to start to fall for them. Rice looks good. I mentioned him last week. I thought he was even better in the game this week. I'm actually strangely enjoying the Thomas Partey at right back experiment. Uh, much more than I thought, at least. I think that eventually might come back to bite them, but so far they're able to get away with it, particularly uh, since they haven't been playing world beaters yet. And even when they're a man down, they have kept their shape really well and the defense is carrying them. So if I don't know where goals are coming from, I think that uh, for, I think that Arsenal is generating enough opportunity to have a couple of goals this match. I'm actually going to run the exact same playbook I just had with Chelsea. Uh, I'm going to take Arsenal minus a goal and a half at minus 155, but my prop bet is going to be the same exact one. Arsenal over one and a half goals, uh, Fulham under half a goal, and that gets you up to plus 135. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we will, I'm sure we'll have this talk at some points during the year, but Fulham is definitely um, the third favorite of mine to get relegated this year. Uh, they were secretly terrible and very lucky last year. And as you mentioned, uh, even though they missed a bunch of matches at the end of the season, they actually had a, a shot machine and goal scorer and Mitrovic up top. Now that guy is uh, Aroel Jimenez, who's way past his prime and hasn't, yeah. I think, scored more than five goals in like three years. Obviously, he had a very serious head injury at that point, too. But um, my conclusion on Fulham being bad is they were bad last year and their players are still not very good. Um, so I'm I'm using that very intellectual analysis to get to the point that I will eat the juice on Arsenal minus 150 at minus 1.5. Um, but I will try to find a way to make it up with the prop bet and taking Arsenal to win both halves at plus 140. Uh, just because I think this is going to be a start to finish route. Fulham has shown me nothing otherwise. Uh, I think it's going to be a pretty long year for Marco Silva and company. So give me the plus number in front of Arsenal winning things. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, I mean, it's interesting to consider the two of them, right? Because they're basically the same bet, plus 135 and plus 140. Um, and both of them require Arsenal to score multiple goals. I guess yeah. I would favor mine just because if um, if if Luton, I'm sorry, not Luton, if Fulham actually does get a goal, then you need Arsenal to get to at least three goals. And I've got that's like back into like I need to see it first. I know they're generating chances and things like that, but they haven't got the three quite yet. Once they do, I'd feel more comfortable with a bet like yours versus a bet like mine where they keep a clean sheet uh, and they don't have to get that third goal. So uh, either way, I, I do like it as a structure. 
And I think that once the the attack starts clicking as well as the defense has been going so far, then a bet like that is going to have a lot of value against bad teams. Uh, all yeah, right. well, my, my faith, well, I just want to say my faith in Arsenal's attack comes in the form of Fulham's defense, which has allowed six and a half expected goals in two games. So excellent. Point. I'm feeling pretty good. That Arsenal's yeah. attack is going to look pretty darn good. Eddie Nketiah might have seven goals by himself. <laughs> That's an excellent point. And like maybe even look at you know some juiced up numbers. What's Arsenal plus two or minus two and a yeah, half or minus if, three and a half even? If you want to get real creative, that is the way to go. Exactly yeah. that. All right. So speaking of bad teams, let's go to the team Brett de- tr- declared as trash last week and see if he's changed his mind. This is Manchester United, 12th at three points versus Forest, 10th at three points. This game is Saturday at 10 a.m. United is minus 335. Forest is plus 850. The draw is plus 430. Caesars has United minus a goal and a half at minus 125 and Forest at minus 105. All right, Brett. So I'm going to leave a lot of space for you here. Um, I will say before you go ahead and bury them, which I'm guessing is what you're going to do. I thought Manchester United, despite losing 2-0, was the better side against Spurs last week. Um, I know that they they got beat. They got they got beat by multiple goals. The XG, one you, you know, stat you always like to use, was in Manchester United's favor, 2.07 to 1.74. And the number of chances that they had was crazy. Like, there's no way that I can, like, rate the Spurs and, like, hammer United so harshly when it just seemed like there was a curse in play, right? Like, Rashford has a wide-open header in front of the net. Fernandez has a wide-open header in front of the net. And both of them, like, put it into the seventh row. And as long as Spurs are allowing those good of opportunities to world-class players, and as long as those world-class players are still wearing United kits and are going to get those opportunities again, I just, I viewed it more as a flu as proof of what you said last week that they are more likely to finish, you know, sixth or seventh and have a chance at the Champions League spots. Your witness. Uh, I mean, I I agree that they were the slightly better team. I do think on the balance of chances that that match probably ends in a draw most of the time. Um, And that's not good because I don't think Spurs are good. I mean, I actually enjoyed the match. I don't know if you were able to watch to catch that one, but it was a fun match. But the whole time I was like, this match is fun because both of these teams are sort of not very good and so they just do things that open it up <laughs> essentially um like like spurs trying to play out of the back that like we talked about pastacado is going to play a completely different style than antonio conte and they have like basuma and star sar is kind of their holding midfielders like trying to play through a press and <laughs> that's not going to work out super well for you all the time because that's not what those guys do well <laughs> um you know and then united has just garnacho out there doing what he does as a young kid so it's it was kind of an entertaining match, but it definitely didn't make me just because of the fact that they were slightly better than a Spurs team that we have we have suspended from the top six <laughs> didn't yeah. make me change my my opinion of them at all. Um, so I, this is going to be the week where I'm going to look like a genius or I'm going to be an idiot. Uh, so I'm actually I think either bet is fine. I would probably say say the conservative route. Take Nottingham Forest plus one and a half uh, at the minus 105 number. I think the plus 900 money line for Forest is good value. I'm just going to say it, Toby. It. They have been sneaky good through two matches. They have held their opponents under less than one goal of expected uh, of chances in each of their first two matches. They did not spend this summer bringing in 30,000 different new players. They've settled on a, a starting 11. 
Matt Turner is a huge upgrade as a shot stopper, which go USA. Um, and I just don't think United is that good. So the fact that they're getting a goal and a half and they're nine to one to beat a pretty mediocre United team, I think that's good value. I'm not going all the way to nine to one, but I am joining you on the minus one Oh five for the plus one and a half on forest uh, for multiple reasons. Watching Garnacho is the ultimate indict- indictment of the Sancho buy. like the fact that he can't get in over this kid and can't crack in the lineup makes me want to never buy anyone from the Bundesliga ever again. Oh, if- I have Sancho takes for days. I will disagree with that, but I'll save it for a later date. <laughs> yeah. Well, if, if Sancho is the most hype prospect coming out of there in quite some time, and then he can't, even get Garnacho out of the lineup, like burn the Bundesliga to the ground, even though Bellingham is absolutely killing it at Real Madrid right now. Um, but it, it's it's back to what I said against Liverpool. I just need to see a scenario in which they are going to score two or three goals. I think they can absolutely get onto the scoreline, but Matt Turner is back there. I agree that Forrest is somewhat improved versus the past. And I also think the Luke Shaw news is is big, right? Like Luke Shaw is going to yeah. be out for a while and they yep. don't have the depth to swallow that kind of in- injury. I don't Maybe even know who they're going to play out there. If Juan Basaka is going to be on your right and some unknown you know, backup is going to be on the left, that's putting a lot of pressure on Ver- uh, Martinez and Varane. And Martinez did not respond well to pressure last week. So if Forrest gets on the board for one, I do not feel good about United getting to three and therefore that one and a half uh, number that you have on forest at minus 105 starts to look super tasty i do think though that uh marcus rashford marcus rashford i i'm gonna back in to come back into some bit of form uh and i love the caesars has a boost for him this week so caesars has him as the first goal scorer boosted up to plus 400 and unless it's a random person like Casemiro or Veron or somebody on a header, I don't think that Ganache is going to beat him to the score sheet. And Anthony, you know, hits a lot of woodwork and sends a lot of balls over the bar. Uh, but I don't, you know, think that he's a great bet to get the first one. So if I think Rashford is creating good opportunities for himself or are good having opportunities presented to him, I do like him to bury one of them and getting four to one through the boost is going to be my prop. Yeah, I mean that's a it's a good bet. I mean, I'm I mentioned Forrest's defensive record so far, but like they haven't been playing world beaters and they were pretty terrible defensively. So like I do say that with a healthy regard of skepticism if they're actually like good defensively. Um and Rashford number is pretty solid for that. Um the the the, the bet I'm taking though is that uh it's both teams to score or sorry. Goals in both halves, sorry, goals in both halves. I can't say that correctly for some reason. No, at plus 130, um, because you mentioned it subtly kind of in your, when you were going through your bets, Forrest getting to one goal concerns me, (laughs) to say the least. I don't think that attack is quite there. Uh, I know Brennan Johnson is kind of like their conquering hero, but I just don't think he's that good. Um, So, I mean... A zero, a zero and one half, and I, I kind of would lean towards the first half. I, I looked at that number as well. Um, seems like it's very likely in this match. Uh, United will probably shut them down. Forrest has been surviving mostly on their defensive ability throughout the start of the season. Matt Turner is an excellent shot stopper. I think Onana is freaking awesome. It's probably been United's best player so far, other than the fact that he got away with a penalty where he decapitated somebody. Um, so there's two very good goalkeepers, a team that's showing market improvement defensively. 
I think that that spells out pretty good value for any bet that has a uh, half of it go on it. All right. Good shout. Uh, let's go ahead and take another break so we can give some more sponsors, some good shouts, and then we will be back with our last match of the week. Okay, one match to go, and it's Sheffield United, 16th at zero points, versus Manchester City, second at six points. This game is Sunday at 9 a.m. City is minus 590. United is plus, um, yeah, Sheffield United is plus 1750. The draw is plus 550. City minus a goal and a half is minus 170. And Caesars has a Sheffield United at plus 130 to keep it within shouting distance. Uh, so, Brett, I said earlier I walked away from that Newcastle match thinking more about City than Newcastle. And the thought is no one is going to score against Manchester City ever again. They are going to keep clean sheets for 36 more matches. Newcastle didn't do a single thing in the first 30 minutes. They had one decent counter at minute 70, but Joshko just like cleaned it up by himself. And this is a Champions League level club. A Champions League level club that could not trouble them whatsoever and only generated 0.29 XG against them. And then on the other end, Phil Foden, my freaking God. This is just completely unfair to have KDB go down, have a guy who is known as, you know, the best, one of the best young attackers in the world, uh, and just slide him into a playmaker role. And he looks like he's been doing it his whole life. And like the, he set up the goal for Alvarez on if you if I covered my screen and didn't see who the pass was made, I would assume it was a KDB pass. Like it was like a classic KDB run down the right edge of the box and then kind of no look this really slick ball back to Alvarez uh, to bury it. He also created three or four excellent opportunities for Holland. And more often than not, at least one of those is going into the net. So that game should have been 2 0 or 3 0, not just 1 0. And I just, I, it's going to be boring. It's August. I don't know how I'm going to talk about them until May in any different way. Besides the fact that I don't think they're going to give up more than 15 goals in the entire year. And Holland's going to score 30 himself. And so how do they not make it to a hundred points and walk the league? Uh, I mean, I don't know if that there's a way to sit. They don't. Um, I can say that even though Foden's touch is like first touch is like Neymar esque. And he's incredible to watch. The first two matches of this city team are telling me that they are going to be dominant in the most suffocating way possible. Um, a KDB, I mean, maybe it was something like you and I have spent numerous podcasts over the last couple of years fawning over KDB once a month. Some crazy pass that he makes that kind of like makes you remember uh, like the Manchester City matches being moments of brilliance. But Pep's whole story of City has been suffocating control, not getting counters. And that's what we've seen the last two matches. You mentioned just them snuffing out every potential attack from Newcastle, just going away like somebody turning off a light switch. Um, I think this iteration of City is just going to be interesting because I think they're going to be very efficient, very ruthless. 100 points is in play. But I'm not even sure that when KDB's not playing, and even with Foden still in the lineup, it's going to be that enjoyable to watch. But yeah. the one caveat might be is that they have signed a very unpep like player. Uh, for anybody who's a who's a big fan a fan of French football, and they saw Ren making in the top four spots in Ligue 1 uh, ahead of powerhouse. Well, traditional French powerhouses like Lille, Monaco, Lyon. 
Um, the part of the rise was Jeremy Doku, who's been pretty highly talked about Belgian winger for some time. And this dude is very on pep like in the sense that he has great numbers. So he's a stat, he's a spreadshirt geeks like me, best friend. But he's also still fairly raw and just an insane athlete that dribbles by people, um, which we don't typically see as a player that Pep typically likes to go after, right? Jack Grealish sort of does that, but he's also got this weird kind of like savant nature in terms of his creative ability. Um, But I'm very interested to see what Doku does to this team because we've never really seen a player like this come to a Pep Guardiola side. And he's building this team to be the suffocating monster. And now you have this guy that doesn't defend or track back. Basically, it's just this athletic powerhouse that just is going to dribble by a bunch of people with a finished product that that was pretty good in France, whether how it carries over the Premier League, we don't know. And I don't really know where he plays either, right? Because you got Kova and KDB spot, Foden's usurp Maros' role, Alvarez is played behind the striker in Holland, and then you have Grealish out left. So I am super intrigued at them spending this much money on a guy that's going into this type of team that that Pep is building, and we don't even have a clear place for him. So City, we haven't talked about Sheffield. We're not going to talk about Sheffield. But City is in a very weird place. And so I think their on-field product might be really boring to watch this season. Uh, But I also think that they might be fascinating to watch evolve as the year goes on. Yeah. Well, if you don't know where he's going to play, he's going to be an inverted right fullback. Just that's where like Pep likes to put anybody as <laughs> yeah. you're going to figure it out from there. That is that is his kind of go to move uh, in terms of actual wagers this week. The two that I'm going to make, of course, I'm going to lay the goal and a half at minus 170 because there's no other number here. There's no like Sheffield United number I would take. So it's just a matter of where I put the city money. Um, and then the second place I would put it is the Foden anytime assist is plus 240. So if he's going to get this free of a run and he's going to be the creative force and he has finishers like Holland in front of him, um, he got the assist for Alvarez last week. I think an assist a week is almost expected. And I think this number is going to start to nosedive as long as he's playing in the role uh, of KDB. So plus 240, take advantage of it while you can still get it. And I will be playing that like I used to play Rashford goals until they lower that number much, much, much lower. It's a good bet. And yeah, I mean, the city, you're eating the juice. Um, I went to the scoreline ban, which I haven't done for a while. So city is 102030 at minus 135. Uh, I think just given everything we described, Sheffield being bad, city snuffing out all hope of scoring goals against you. Um, and that Pep has built this really boring, kind of dominant, controlling team. I don't really see four or five O as a huge part of their range. Um, but the 102030 covers a big part of it. Minus 135, I'll take that juice to have it. It will be interesting as the season progresses to see if they start playing with their food again, right? Particularly yeah. as Champions League football starts up and things like that. Will we see the second half consolation goal? That was one of my most profitable bets last year, make a return. And like, mm-hmm. and will the snu- the snuffing out will be for the first 70 minutes, and then it'll be 2-0 or 3-0. And will we see like a slew of crappy uh bouncing around the ball that they're not reacting to because they're bored and it gets fin- it's slotted behind Ederson. So that's that's three weeks in. That's the level of drama that I'm looking for in City is will <laughs> junk goals return? That is a mark of a true, unbelievable juggernaut of a squad. Uh Premier League fever, but- baby. Catch it. But, Brett, I will tell you, we are not juggernauts right now in the five pint. We are limping along right now. I am being saved by corner bets. 
Uh, I don't remember what you were saved by. I think it was might have been under in that liver in the Newcastle yeah, game. Newcastle game. Uh, but we are at 4.9 versus 5.2, and we are not covering ourselves in glory. So we definitely need to make a collective comeback. If Enzo converted that penalty, I would be set for the month. I'd be way in the plus. Uh, if you had actually had the fortitude to back your Liverpool, come from behind or draw, you'd be looking good right now. So it's not that we're giving out bad picks. We actually just had bad five-pint selection more than anything else. Uh, but here is how I am going to try to reverse the trend this week. I am taking pool. On the double chance, so plus half a goal and minus 135. And then I'm I'm going to take something that I consider safe, and I just can't wait for Chelsea to blow it for me. If you take a parlay of Chelsea, Arsenal, and City just to win against super crappy teams with really high-powered squads, very expensive squads, you can get that all the way down to minus 125. So you don't have to adjust any line or anything. The three of those guys to each take three points is minus 125. And I'm going to try to make that my safe play of the week. Uh, And then I'm going to take the pair of bets that I gave out earlier. Chelsea over one and a half goals. Luton under half a goal at plus 130. And then Arsenal over one and a half goals. And Fulham under one and a half goals at plus 135. And I'm going to finish off with, as I promised, the Foden anytime assist at plus 240 until that number goes down at least in half and maybe lower. Well, Toby, um, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like when you're having a cold run gambling, the way to get out of that hole is you just keep betting bigger, right? That's how it works, right? You just keep making bigger and bigger bets. Uh, you Do you listen to our show? You know when they give out all those 800 numbers and talk about responsible gambling? <laughs> it's because of what you just said. So go back and listen to the ad again. Listen to all those 800 numbers. If what Brett said made you nod your head, give him a call. <laughs> yes, please do that. In all seriousness, if that is an issue for you, definitely make a phone call. Um, for me, though, just because we're having a bad month uh, and we play for, for mostly beers and I do lose some of my own money when I bet these as well. Uh, but I'm going to take a double chance on Forrest in both betting the plus 900 money line for a pint and the plus one and a half for a pint at minus 105. Uh, I just thought it was too good a value to to uh, pass up. And we can't fade Spurs anymore. I got to fade somebody in my five-pint. So I'm fading United, Toby. That's what I'm doing. Uh, yeah, but then right. I want to go to some good teams doing good things to, to round this out. Uh, I'm going to take Arsenal plus 140 to win both halves for a pint. And then I'm going to take the City scoreline band of 102030 at minus 135 for two pints. So I cannot wait till Oliver McBurney puts that consolation goal past Ederson and I have a big fat zero in my corner again this week. Yeah, or, or City hangs five on them. Yeah, or that. That would probably be, that's there. actually probably the more likely outcome. That'd be pretty fun. Okay, well, we have one more week before the international break is already upon us. Uh, so hopefully we will be back next week celebrating a Chelsea win and a return to form for some of these top squads against some of these lowly opponents. And then we will take a break to go watch the international teams play in September for some unknown reason. But we do have one week before that, and we look forward to sharing it with you with our usual interchange of horrible advice backed by expert analysis. See you next week, everyone. Take care, y'all.